Welcome to Driving IT Modernization in Government panel discussion sponsored by Sapient. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to our discussion today. I'm actually looking forward to having this a little bit different type of a discussion around IT modernization. Let me introduce you to our guests. Chad Sheraton is the Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department's Risk Management Agency. Jeff Weiner is the Deputy Executive Officer of the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases at the National Institutes of Health. And Nathan Brewer is the Vice President for Sapient Consulting Public Sector. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. The conversation we're having today comes at a perfect time. The House recently passed the Modernizing Government Technology, or MGT Act. The Senate is now considering the bill, and Congressman Will Hurd, the primary author of the bill, told me recently he's confident that the upper chamber actually will move on the bill. As a brief reminder, the MGT Act does two main things. It authorizes a central fund of $500 million for agencies to apply for through business cases, and it also creates working capital funds in each agency where they can stockpile savings for moving off of legacy IT systems. Getting the bill passed, setting up those funds, actually may be the easy part. Agencies will have to think hard about how they cannot just lift and shift from old technology to new platforms, but how they can provide services much differently. The government currently is spending about 69% of its IT budget on legacy systems. This means that aging hardware and software are costly and pose significant security and operational risks. The Office of Management and Budget has been pushing agencies over the last two years to shift their spending and get off old systems. And the recent cybersecurity executive order calls on agencies to make it even more of a priority by moving to concepts like cloud and shared services. Meanwhile, OMB is emphasizing agencies address change management, user experience, communications, and other strategic components as a part of a successful modernization initiative. Now all these pieces are coming together, agencies need to consider the opportunity before them. How can they develop a modernization strategy that transforms how they deliver mission critical services? This is not a discussion about technology, it's about moving off of old technology, how that can lead to better and less expensive citizen services. And that is what our panel will break down today. So with that context in place, let's turn to our guests. Chad Sheraton, the Chief Information Officer of the Agriculture Department's Risk Management Agency. Jeff Weiner, the Deputy Executive Officer of the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases at the National Institutes of Health. And Nathan Brewer, the Vice President for Sapient Consulting Public Sector. Let me start with Chad. You guys have been working on this uh, modernization effort for quite some time. Let's just talk about what does IT modernization mean for you guys today? Well, it's twofold. I look at our business of IT in two different realms. One is those things that directly support and enable the mission, and those things that are supporting functions that are ripe for shared services. If you look at how we look at modernization, one, it's to better deliver mission value, right? So I bucket a portion of our business into that, and that is all about mission value. The other part of our business is about performance at what cost. And that's where you look at what performance best enables us to do the things we do every day and at what price point are we willing to pay for that. And, and so all of those things that are hosting, our end user services, that's not the business of agriculture. The business of agriculture and the risk management agency is crop insurance. So I need to look at these two things totally different. Um, and for our business systems, modernization is about um, retiring technical debt, right? We built things differently. Uh, so legacy systems or even systems we built five years ago were built with a model that, that didn't think about the total life cycle cost of these systems. You know, if you look at uh, various research agencies, they say you'll spend up to five to six times what you spend in development on operating, maintaining. We've got to be able to reduce, we've got to build them right up front. And I think the, the point of saying we've got to build them right up front means you have to understand what the needs are. And Correct. it's not just, okay, we have this, we can move to the cloud, so let's move to the cloud. You've got to ask yourself those questions. Does it make sense to move to the cloud? Or does it make sense to keep it on-prem? Or so many other pieces and parts. And, and that's where that mission side has to come in. I think it looks at our principle is we don't believe we should be in the business of running a data center. Right, I, I definitely can say that for the risk management agency, but you could ask the same question on the broader agriculture department, right? Farmers don't care that I run a data center, they care that I provide federal crop insurance. So we believe that our long-term strategy and roadmap is, let's get out of that business. If you go and visit 
a commercial data center provider like a, like an Amazon or, or a Microsoft Azure and then do a surprise visit of your own data center, if you don't see the stark difference in capabilities and go, I want this, and it's not that we're doing a bad job, it's just this is a service we can buy that is going to be more secure, provided we take care of our own equities. Lift and shift doesn't work in that context, so we've got to look at that roadmap and say, these are, these are the things that can go right now, these are the things we're going to have to re-architect for that kind of hosting environment. It's interesting, you bring up uh, the idea of, of, lift, of, of data centers, and, and someone asked, I was at a conference recently, and someone asked a question, who can afford the best people to run your data center? And there was a question in the audience, and, and everyone kind of looked at each other and said, right, not us, the government, it's always the vendor. So that's a good point. Uh, Nathan, let's turn, Sapien is, is bringing an interesting perspective. You guys are not a typical technology firm, that's why I said it's a little bit different of a conversation. Let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing with your federal customers and how are you helping them with their IT modernization? Yeah, well, I think Chad hit, a, hit upon a couple of good themes there and it's really back to what is the mission impact um, of your technology investment. But for us, when we work with our clients and look at a number of different organizations, we really see a lot of different agencies at different levels of maturity. So while some, um, as Chad were talking about, are well along the path towards modernization, others are still really trying to deconstruct, okay, what, um, what am I trying to maximize here with this modernization effort? Is it you know, just preventing future cybersecurity threats? Is it you know, maximizing my financial return on investment? Um, and so that's where we really begin with clients is, is what are you trying to enable through this uh, modernization effort? And uh, if you're able to do that more effectively, then it's a, then it's a worthwhile investment. Do you, do you get a sense that because cybersecurity has been so much attention paid over the last few years, you know, post OPM hack and, and now with this latest WannaCry ransomware attack, do you get a sense that people are too focused on got to protect systems and they're not enough focused on transforming your business through IT will protect your systems better because of, of inherently there's better security built in? Yeah, I think it's twofold. I think uh, I think within within the government, um, security is is almost just like electricity. It has to be there. You, it's, it's not an option not to have a secure system. I think for the public, uh, I don't know about you, but at home, I have a file in my in my desk drawer that is every letter I get of my personal information getting hacked. Um, so I'm a little skeptical of you know it's security at what cost and to what point. But yeah, it's absolutely essential. Um, and I think for really for the agencies that are doing really nice things with technology in this modernization effort effort. They're really looking at, okay, what is the core mission? How am I enabling that? Not just with, with serving my end users or my, the citizenry better, but also my internal stakeholders. Are my employees able to do their jobs more effectively and more efficiently uh, overall? And I think that's the question that a lot of people are starting to ask. And when I talk to CIOs, uh, Chad's been on my Ask the CIO show before, and one of the things that comes up time and again is the customer service, the, the citizen service uh, angle, and how, how, how has the CIO office changed? It's not just, well, we've hooked this server up or, or changed this, but really, okay, how can I serve it better? Let's turn to Jeff Weiner. Jeff, talk a little bit about your work at, 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 at the... Uh, it's the greatest acronym, N-I-D-D-K. <laughs> Talk a little bit about how you guys are looking at IT modernization. So for us, modernization is this holistic process. It's, it's evolution for us. We have always used technology. We had mainframe computers. Obviously, the world has changed. The science, it's really what drives us is the science. What do the scientists need? What are the kinds of activities that they're doing? What kind of images and data and information are they generating? And it's huge amounts of data. And so we have to find ways to create the opportunities and the infrastructure to support that and to help science. So it's not just data storage in a remote place. We also have, uh, to a, a very good point, uh, a very significant public presence. A large part of our mission is about providing medical research information and disease information and therapy information and options to the American public. So for us, IT is really an enabler. It, it's really part of how do we reach the public? How do we deliver the services that our scientists and our collaborators at various universities and hospitals are providing? So for us, it really is just part of our mission in all parts. Chad, jump in. So if, if I love what Jeff said because if you look at this, part of the difficulty of these conversations, and, and we're grateful to have them, is we, we keep talking this inside baseball language, right? We talk about Fitara, we talk about FISMA, we talk about now MGT's the new one, right? We keep talking about the IT-centric things that are going on because that's part of our daily job as CIOs. The problem is, is getting buy-in from our mission leaders, we've got to speak the mission language. 
And, and I think actually it's the biggest impediment in the security space and, and also in the modernization space because we talk about modernization in IT language, right? Instead of the, if we do this, now our mission is more secure, right? We, we changed our security discussion from IT security to mission risk. And I had a, a great administrator in my past boss and we got him to understand what does security mean to RMA, right? The idea is farmers don't like giving the government their data, right? So if we have a breach, whether it's in one of my systems or if it's in one of the companies that we partner with to deliver crop insurance, now I don't want to give my data, which means I don't want to participate in the program. Well, insurance is about a broad-based risk. So if I stop participating in the program or I get bunches of people that stop participating, all of a sudden I go from a security breach to a mission kill. Right, I lose the program because, well, I even got our administrator to speak at a security conference and have that talk, right? We don't need our mission leaders to understand our business. We need to take our business and put it in terms that the business leaders can understand, and enterprise risk and enterprise modernization. Jeff, you're shaking your head. How are you able to do that? Because when you talk about disease and, and you're talking about much more complicated science, I mean, farm insurance, we all get insurance, right? We all get farm, hopefully, our farmers and what they do. But when you talk about scientific and research and disease, it's much more complicated. Agreed. We have, by our nature, a very collaborative community. Our scientists, they collaborate with people outside, people internationally, and so our history has been that of working with other people towards solutions. And so our leadership, who grew up in the science field and now lead our institutes, are understand the mission. And so we recognize that part of our mission is inside. It's in the labs. It's doing inventions. It's working with the clinical patients to try to develop new therapies. But if we don't share that information with the public and with the medical provider community, then the value of this incredible organization isn't realized. And so our leadership is very actively involved in our IT decisions, our IT strategies, and they don't think of it as an afterthought. It's really part of how we do our research initiatives. But I guess the question is from you as the person kind of running the IT, are you, did you also, just let's talk your background just real quick, were you a researcher who fell into IT or have you been an IT guy who now fell into research? Um, or yes. <laughs> I'm a businessman who fell into IT. There you go. But because I've spent 25 years at the National Institutes of Health in several different institutes and been the CIO of several different groups, I've gained an appreciation over time for the incredible diversity of the science and the activity and how it is so integrated because as we increasingly know, IT has become more and more expensive. Making these decisions have, are very impactful. They're expensive. They have a long life. And so the way we organize ourselves and provide these resources really does help us move our scientific mission forward. And at NIH, it's all about the science. Nathan, let me turn to you. Are you starting to see, when you work with clients, are you starting to see the, the agency turning the, the, the IT to the mission versus the mission to the IT? Are you starting to see that change happening more and more? Yeah, and I, and I think both Chad and Jeff represent you know, the best of government here in the sense of talking mission first. I mean, how many times have each of you talked about the, the end users and the ultimate mission? Um, you know, I think the, thing, the change we've seen you know, just over the years is technology is no longer an afterthought. It's a key enabler to what organizations are doing, and uh, in, it impacts all levels of the organization, so all levels are getting more and more involved. They need to have a point of view, and I think that's where the role of the CIO is not just as an advocate for you know, technology and having, you know, the necessary tech tools to to help uh, the agency, but also just being an advocate for where are we going long term? What investments can we make today in technology that are going to enable the mission you know, well into the future, long after um, we're all here, and really set the organization up um, for the next wave of success? Um, so, yeah, I think that's where we're seeing it. One one interesting thing, just to go a little further, is that um, you hear some you hear some organizations or some commentators talk about um, you know getting the right skill set and, and and how do we evolve the workforce and everything else. What I think is fascinating is that we're working with several clients now who are really trying to take how do we take those really subject matter experts that have 30 to 40 years of expertise in an agency and how do we use that not as a blocker to to transforming technology, but actually how do we take all that institutional knowledge and then use that to help inform what we're going forward and why certain business rule decisions were making at a, made at a systems level years ago and why they're important and then how they need to involve going forward. That, that's a great point that the, the, the institutional knowledge and there's so many people in government 
who've been there a long time, who we keep hearing about the retirement wave, the tsunami that's coming that unfortunately, or fortunately, hasn't come yet. Um, Chad, are you guys dipping into that, that knowledge base a little bit and saying, okay, here's what we think we should do, but let's talk to the people who've been doing this for, for 30 years? Absolutely. I think we've got to take advantage of both the people that are coming into the workforce now that are bringing new ideas, new techniques, and the people that have been there and done that. And what we try to balance is, I want to bring the historical knowledge, not just of what we've done on the system side, but understand how the agency has evolved, whether it's talking to, to mission leaders that have been there the whole time, or, or people in my staff that have been there for 30 plus years to see. It's a recognition of the context of history, but we also need to have a short memory of, uh, we can't do that because we didn't do it before, or it, you know, it's a combination of bring forward the lessons, but have a short memory so that we're not dwelling on that which worked or didn't work in the past. Jeff. And I'd like to extend what Chad's saying. One of the other ways, we, we have our workforce, our federal workforce and all the experience and knowledge they have. We also spend a lot of time talking to other federal agencies, trying to mine their knowledge and their experience when they launched technologies and how did it work and where were the stumbling blocks and what, what their real challenges were. But what we've also done is we've created some really intensive partnerships with different private firms because some of the consulting expertise, some of the real knowledge about what's happening in the broader world, the trends, how you really get things done, comes from private industry. And we've been very open and receptive to partnering with groups that, that do represent some of these best practices and insights. Do, do you find that, because a lot of times, when you start looking at what other people do, right? So if you said, Chad, what are you working on? Well, that's maybe works for Chad, but may not work for, uh, for your agency as much, or is it because we're talking IT and mission kind of bringing together it's like if you're a CIO at one, you can be a CIO anywhere type, type of thought. I think it is, you have to bring it home, right? Because technology is technology, but how does it fit into your culture? Are you ready for it? Is your infrastructure prepared? Are your people prepared to support this? And so for us, it really is a matter of looking at fit, but, but you have to start with this broad view of exploring options. That's a great point. We're gonna take a quick break, chat, hold that thought. You're listening to the panel discussion, Driving IT Modernization in Government, sponsored by Sapient on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Technology has ushered in a period of disruption in government and with it opportunity for agencies to reimagine how they serve their constituents. Achieving IT goals is about more than the replacement of an old technology. It's about designing interactions that enhance the citizen government experience. Sapient Consulting considers tech strategies and solutions with the broader context of mission transparency, change management, operations, public outreach, and citizen access. Creating the future of government. Visit sapientconsulting.com. Welcome back to the panel discussion, Driving IT Modernization in Government, sponsored by Sapient on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. I'm Jason Miller. My guests today are Chad Sheridan, the Chief Information Officer of the Agriculture Department's Risk Management Agency, Jeff Weiner, the Deputy Executive Officer of the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases at the National Institutes of Health, and Nathan Brewer, the Vice President for Sapient Consulting Public Sector. We were just ending with the idea of bringing in some outside ideas, understanding you know, you, you're, you're, where you live is not necessarily where all the best ideas come from. So Chad, you're about to jump in, talk a little bit about how you kind of reach out to the outside. Well, it starts with the attitude from the top. I, I think we have to encourage by our actions this notion that all good ideas do not come from our own experience. So whether it's encouraging and showing people that, that the leader gets out and talks with other agencies or introducing our staff to, hey, did you go talk to this agency or, or did you go talk even outside of USDA, which is a foreign concept to a lot of people. You know, we, we tend to have this attitude that, of the story of the bear, right? right? Two guys in the woods run into a bear, one guy starts putting on sneakers, the other guy says, why are you putting on sneakers? You can't unroute the bear. He says, I don't need to outrun the bear, I just need to outrun you. We take that attitude with our brother and sister federal agencies, and it makes no sense, right? If we can't learn lessons from somebody else, if we can't collaborate uh, and, and, and use shared services or use shared ideas, there's no way each individual agency is going to be able to solve all these problems ourselves. And it's interesting you bring up shared services. We're going to get there probably as part of the conversation. But USDA is a huge proponent of shared services. I mean, you guys were one of the first ones to go email to the cloud as one example. And, and, and that it was not an idea that, you know, a lot of other agencies were doing at the time. Uh, and, and it's worked well, I've heard. In some cases, yes. In some cases, it could get better. I think 
one of the things we're looking at is, is obviously the top-down guidance is to use shared services, whether it's in the executive order for cybersecurity, in the in the OMB memorandum on agency reform, it's going to be in the, the MGT Act. All of those things are the push. It makes sense for those things that are not differentiating the mission. But I think we have to approach it from a different mindset. We have tended to approach it from a provider's mindset. So I'm a shared service provider. How do I consolidate and go at it from that? I think we go back to the, what are the requirements for those shared services? So if I have human resources, if I have procurement, if I have data center hosting, end user services, what are my requirements? If you gather those requirements and look at the concept of operations for an agency, for example, in HR services at USDA, most of us do general federal hiring and things, but the Forest Service and other agencies have to hire up to 10,000 or more temporary workers every year. Well, that's a different service model than general hiring in HR services. So build that concept of operations and then go out and build a solution that meets those needs instead of, I'm already a service provider, how can I morph that? Start with the requirements. We all know this, this is good practice, let's keep going with let's that. Let's actually do it, right? Yep. Jeff, let me turn to you, because you brought this up, this idea of, of reaching out to outside of your comfort zone, if you will. Uh, talk about what you've brought into from the outside a little bit. One of the things for us recently, and this happened about a few years ago, essentially we were in the, the process of trying to organize all of the different websites we had. There were, we have kidney disease and liver and we have diabetes information and we were trying to find a way to bring them together. And so of course we reached out to our local IT shop to see if they could help us navigate this and pick the best technologies for centralizing all this information. And what we learned very quickly was we weren't quite ready for this on our own and we knew we needed help. And so that started a whole level of discovery where we started reaching out, looking at other industries and looking at other people who had successfully navigated this because our websites and our information is a major asset that we put out to help the world. And so in our case, we happen to select Sapient as the company and they've been with us now for probably three years and we've made this major migration because not only did they help us navigate the technology decisions to understand the capabilities of the systems, they helped us figure out how to do the internal change management. How do we get our groups prepared? How do we clean up the data? How do we have the project management expertise to keep this on track? And so for us, we needed and got outside expertise that was incredibly helpful because right now our website is doing a really terrific job of delivering information about our services. And, and when you change how you deliver those services, you make people happy. Yes, And you, you, people forget that that in the end, right, you want to go to any website, whether it's the government or private sector, and have a good experience. You know, there's nothing worse than everyone going to those press zero to talk to an operator, and you're pressing zero. It's the same thing with a website. Nathan, it's, it's a great story. Jeff talks about the websites. How are you guys seeing that with, with clients across the board in the federal market in terms of working through some of these bringing in these new ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think in a couple of ways. It reminds me of um, one of my first gigs almost 20 years ago in government, um, or with government clients, was with the Marine Corps. And I'll, I'll never forget that a young enlisted Marine turns to a general officer and says, sir, I can go off base and get my oil changed in 30 minutes at Jiffy Lube, and it takes me two weeks to get my Humvee's oil changed on base. What's what's the issue here? You know, and that, was, that wasn't a technology problem. <laughs> that was, you know, but I think that captures the expectations that we're all bringing as consumers in the, in the broader world to when we interact with a government agency and, and the employees of uh, the government as well of just what they expect and what they want that experience to be like. So you no longer get the pass, I think, of like, oh, well, it's government. No, it's a it's an experience that you know people expect. I think the other thing that's really that's, that gets me really excited about government acquisition right now is that... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Excited about government acquisition? I, I know. I have to jump in there. <laughs> I'm the only one who gets excited about government acquisition. Yeah. But what's... And, and this echoes a little bit of to what Chad and Jeff were saying is that that I think the government is taking a very, very measured approach to focusing on defining defining requirements, defining the what, and working within their agency on what they know best, which um, which is that mission piece, and then throwing it out to industry and saying, okay, let tell us how you would you would solve this. What is the how here? And then taking a step back and saying, well, is that what's best to serve our mission? And it's a real nice interplay between what the government does best and what inter industry does best, without causing either of them to go outside their comfort zones. Chad? I, I think it's also rethinking our acquisitions, right? We have traditionally bought products. And in the hardware space, that makes a lot of sense. 
But in the services space, if I try to write the requirements for a software product, a system, and assume that I've got all that right up front and I can put a fixed price or even a cost plus contract in place and I'm going to get the product, one, I think we're abdicating our government responsibility to our users for that product, right? And two, there's no way in a, in a non-physically limited software world that we know what the requirements are up front. So as you try to move to a more agile model, I think you use your acquisitions more on, I'm buying development services, right, and the expertise that they bring to the table on how to build it, but ultimately it's my responsibility to deliver the capability to my mission, not my contractors. That's where we need to make that abstraction. I knew you were going down the path of Agile. I thought that's where Nathan was going to go for a second when you started saying it's exciting. And because because the move towards Agile is really all about that user experience piece. You hear it from the, the US Digital Service or ATF or, or some of the other digital services agency, uh, organizations and agencies. Nathan, from your perspective, is that Agile conversation, is it, is it much more comfortable now than maybe a year or two or three ago? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think even if you look at, the, not just Agile, but the move to DevOps. I mean, it's really making um, O and M, um, you know, sexy. I mean, it's in <laughs> terms of in terms of the ability to to take an O and M function and have it continually evolve and respond to users' needs and to what the the agency needs. And that I think has been a massive shift in just how um, government IT organizations are just envisioning how they continue to provide those services. Jeff, let's talk about those that website project real quick again. Uh, did Agile play a role in it, or how did you ensure that the users, because your customers, had, had, a, had the proper say, if you will? And so for us, we're constantly working with our community of scientists, of collaborators, with the medical community, with our stakeholders who are looking for grants from the National Institutes of Health. And so one of the things we learned on our web project, talking about agility, we started off thinking we're going to organize our information just like we did before. We're going to make it available so people can see it on their desktop computer just like they did before. And what we learned through the process was, wait a second, our consuming public, the regular people, the regular American citizens, aren't sitting at a desktop when they look at our information. They're looking at their iPhone or their tablet. And so what we had to do was essentially course correct and adjust things so that when we display our content, if you show up and you have an iPhone, that content is customized so that you can read it and it's much more easy to navigate. We never would have anticipated that at the beginning. And I think that's where these relationships with vendors and the way we're doing contracting currently tries to provide some flexibility because we recognize the world evolves and sometimes it does it pretty quickly. That's a great point about thinking that, well, we think we know how to solve it and then some data comes back and you're like, okay, we were wrong. Chad, you probably have the same experience with farmers. You're thinking, well, well farmers, they, they go in the field all day and they go back to their uh, desks at night and they, they input their data and you're finding much, it's much, I know you're not into the data, but but you, you, it's a different, the farmers are acting differently. I'm talking to people like Darren Ash, your, your colleague at USDA and some others, it's not, it's not what the way it was. It is not the way it was and, and one of the things that's really driving change in our industry is this idea of precision farming. So I've got GPS enabled devices that originally were only on the high end you know, the $300,000 plus machines. So the, the penetration in the market was limited for a while. Now, you've got these aftermarket sellers to where penetration in, into the market for high precision GPS driven farming is is there. You know, it, it, it's, it's almost ubiquitous. So if you're not using it, you're, you're you're really not keeping up with technology. And so we as government agencies need to figure out, not just on the technology side, but working with our mission partners on how do our policies support precision farming? How do our policies, not just within the risk management agency, but across the entire new mission area in, in USDA, farm production and conservation, how does that fit? How do we look at it from the farmer's perspective, not from my perspective, what makes sense for the farmer and how can we present one integrated view to that farmer? Uh, Nathan, I think Chad brings up a really interesting point and, and really what he's getting is the innovation that's happening all around us. It's one thing for, for Chad or, or Jeff to say, well, we have innovation internally, but there is innovation on, 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 the, on the consumer or the customer side. How do, you, how do you guys at Sapient work with your federal clients to say, hey, don't forget to look at precision farming and how GPS is everywhere now? 
Yeah, I, I think one one of our um, one one of our um, mantras from from when we founded the business was to bring the best of all of this big global co uh, commercial corporation to bear for our clients in the in the public sector. Um, so we're able to bring in a lot of new ideas like that. But it's also I think establishing that partnership with our government clients just to have conversations. I'll never forget the first the first uh, iPhone app that I was ever involved in developing came out of a conversation with a client um, less than six months after the uh, the the app store was launched in the fact that you know a federal customer already thinking of how do we how are our users how are how is the citizenry going to respond to this development and do we need a voice there or not um, and so to me it's it's that conversation because industry doesn't have all the right ideas um, you know neither, neither does government coming together I think you get a nice interplay of ideas I'm gonna guess here because I went to your website and, and looked at some of the case studies census maybe so, well census wasn't yeah census wasn't the um, we was that was that client hard. yeah yeah I but no no, no no so yeah so um, but no this was uh, census was a little later but yeah it's and it's amazing just um, I mean back to precision farming I'm sure when they that when the agency was established it was okay you know how do we how do we ensure crops how does technology play a role there and now you know the 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 user base is changing so much and how do you respond to that so I think it just shows the whole theme of how much how technology is permeated our, our entire lives and yeah. we're seeing that every day Jeff one of the things that 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 any time when you talk about change right you, you brought I think you brought up change management and, and that's hard because when you say, well, we're going to redo our websites to make it user more user-friendly, make it easier to find, you're always going to have the grump, right? The, the curmudgeon who's going to send you that email and say, why would you change your website? I can't believe you did that. We get it at Federal News Radio. I'm sure everybody gets it. How do you deal with that change management internally but also externally? So we do a lot of ways. One of the key things in every change management book I've ever read says the same thing. You need leadership support. We happen to be incredibly lucky. We have incredible leaders at my organization. They really believe in delivering better information to the public. And so for us, when you have obstacles or impediments or people who aren't quite feeling the enthusiasm, we have ways of bringing them into the conversation. And so we have a very active community. You know, scientists, by their very nature, like to poke at things and they like to question things. And in our world, that's really good. It means sometimes it takes a little longer to make a decision, but there's this socialization process so that when you're trying to make change, it's not just the IT people, it's also the community, it's the users, it's the stakeholders, and so we take this very holistic view and we have community dialogue in a lot of different levels that help us navigate to actually get people and gain consensus to move in the same direction. Do you get a sense that it's easier to move the outside versus the internal folks because again as, as I think Chad mentioned you gotta have the institutional knowledge but you gotta also have a short memory of that didn't work before well today's different it is different I, I think it, it's a mixture and I would say fortunately we are a scientifically oriented organization and so in that <laughs> regard change. they changes what they do so that makes my life as a IT supporter much easier that's true very true uh, maybe I should ask Chad that question is the change management because as you said sometimes at USDA you have the not invented here a problem I think it's a matter of you cannot communicate enough yeah. and and what we found some of our lessons learned as we made our journey to to more agile delivery models is we didn't communicate enough and we didn't explain it in terms that our stakeholders could understand it, it was why are we doing this what's in it for you you know why does this matter and it, it, it keep going back to asking why 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 are we doing this why does this make sense what's the value we expect to get out of it and recognizing that we're going to make mistakes along the way the point is to learn from those mistakes and own them so if something goes wrong i own it right not my t my team owns it too but i own it hey we didn't do as well as we thought we were going to do here. Here's what we're going to do differently. And, and we gain respect by not pointing the fingers elsewhere, not uh, skimping around the problem, but just, hey, we own this. This is our issue. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. I think that sometimes gets lost is, is well, we could have done it, but or, well, the Congress didn't give us funding, or, well, we didn't have the leadership we needed, but you gotta own it, I agree with you. Nathan, do you find, how, how, as you're working with your federal clients, how do you ensure that you communicate to them they need to communicate and own it? Oh, 
absolutely. I think it's, uh, um, I think Chad's spot on is you cannot communicate enough. And I think the other thing is when you have those curmudgeons that, that, that may be staying in your way, I actually, um, I actually tell clients, I'm like, tell me who they are, bring them, you know, bring them to us and let bring, us, bring them to yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let us interact because there's, there's something, if, if you assume good intent, there's something inside there that is, that is, that, that is valuable and that will inform you and make a better over solution. And we're going to take a quick break, but I think a lot of times people just want to be listened to. Yeah. Somebody wants to be like, I, I, I've tried this before and this might won't work. You know, that's great feedback. Let, let me take that in and let's see if we can shift. But we're going to take a break. We'll continue our conversation in a second. You're listening to the panel discussion, Driving IT Modernization in Government, sponsored by Sapient on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Technology has ushered in a period of disruption in government and with it opportunity for agencies to reimagine how they serve their constituents. Achieving IT goals is about more than the replacement of an old technology. It's about designing interactions that enhance the citizen government experience. Sapient Consulting considers tech strategies and solutions with the broader context of mission transparency, change management, operations, public outreach, and citizen access. Creating the future of government. Visit sapientconsulting.com. Welcome back to the panel discussion, Driving IT Modernization in Government, sponsored by Sapient on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Chad Sheridan, Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department's Risk Management Agency, Jeff Weiner, the Deputy Executive Officer of the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases at the National Institutes of Health, and Nathan Brewer, the Vice President for Sapient Consulting Public Sector. We ended the last segment of a very interesting idea here about about kind of the communication internally curmudgeons i'm glad we got that word out there it's it's, it's one of my favorite words uh, at the kind of the very end jeff you were about to talk a little bit about trust and this idea that it's not just do it because i said so or or convincing you but but do i have trust in the leadership talk a little bit about that trust piece so as we are trying to deploy technologies, as we're trying to support the mission, one of the key things that happens is there has to be trust between the community of users, the stakeholders, the people who are using our technologies, and the technologists. And so IT is no longer a group of people behind the curtain. You've got to find a way to bridge that. And so what our community has to understand is that we're really trying to help them, that we're doing this for them, that it's a service orientation. It's almost like you flip it around. We're not the wizards anymore. We're the service providers to try to help make things happen that they want. And that trust extends between us and our community as IT people, but it also extends between us and, and the companies and organizations that we partner with, whether it's the cloud providers or whether it's a, a consulting firm like Sapient or whether it's other government agencies. And I think one of the comments that was made earlier is that people are working for a place of goodwill, right, where you, you anticipate people are going to want to do the right thing. And I think that does make it easier, and the rest is for us as leaders to keep promoting that. And I think you make a good point is, is not just starting from the place of goodwill, but the provider. I think that's been the shift from the IT perspective, from the CIO's perspective that I've seen over the last maybe five years, is this idea of customer service and, and provider. Uh, Chad, talk a little bit about how that's shifted in, 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 at RMA. RMA. Well, I think it, it's more than just being a provider. It's moving beyond provider to partner. And, and part of that is is we have to build a trust that we're going to do what we say we're going to do. And when we don't, we own it. So we've kind of vacillated in IT between this idea of, hey, we know our business. We're just going to go do our job and that's it. You know, you're going to get what we get. Or we're a doormat and we're going to give you everything you ask for, everything you say. And, and, and we're either a position of, of obfuscation or a position of we're, we're the low man on the, on the totem pole. So we need to find a balance that says, hey, we're going to stand up for ourselves and, and not go from a position of fear, but we're going to be vulnerable in that we own our issues. We're going to tell you where our problems are and what we're doing to fix about them. And if something goes wrong, it's ours. So we build trust by being vulnerable, by listening, by trying to understand what people's problems are, not from a position of defensiveness, but from a position of I'm here to help. And if we can do that without being doormats, now they go, hey, if this guy screws up, he owns it, he's going to fix it, and we can hold him accountable. So it's kind of that idea of we're going to go first, not just within our own organization, but in the broader agency, in the broader government is, I'm going to go first. If I go first, then I'm going to encourage other people to follow. I'm going to encourage other people to act without fear. 
Nathan, that's it's what he's talking about is the early adopter, right? The champion within the business. You hear that very often. Find a few champions and, and word spreads. Are you starting to see that? Is 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 the, the process works? We know it does, but is is it starting to catch on more? Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the the larger cultural shifts in the in the government has been just. I mean, you look at the effectiveness of the government-wide CIO council and then the the, the large agency-specific CIO councils, and you know, just that culture of sharing lessons learned, and and also back to Chad's point about being vulnerable is is really going out there and extending yourself. In terms of early adopters, I mean, it's really to me, it's about um, listening to what users say, um, and really trying to put yourself in their shoes you know, spend lots of time with them and then incorporating what you learn from them um, back into your organization. Um, I'll never forget, we had one um, one government client once who one of their key key constituents, the feedback was, was the internet doesn't work this way. And I'll never forget that line of the internet doesn't work this way. But what was amazing about that one comment was that the client was then able to use that within their organization of, okay, this is how we're viewed by who we're serving. So this is the rallying cry of everything we do. And and uh, they were able to change that perception very quickly. One of the things uh, that, that Chad brought up, let me turn to Jeff real quick on, is, is this idea of moving, not being a doormat, but also not being the no, right? You, you got to find that balance. Are you guys finding that balance? Because as you mentioned earlier, scientists are always kind of pro poking and prodding. They are, and the great thing about that is it makes us as service deliverers to keep raising our game, to keep coming up with better ideas, to delivering reliable services, not just talk about them. And that's where, whether it's improving the quality of our staff by training and experience, whether it's building collaborations with other people who have been highly successful, where it's reaching with outside agencies or other organizations that have subject matter experts, that's where as a group we're just trying to deliver, be better all the time. And you bring up better ideas and that's a great segue <laughs> to this idea of, of, of user design, user feedback. We talked a little bit about it when we talked about the Agile discussion. Uh, let me turn to Chad, I guess, to start us off. When you guys are looking at your systems and redesigning systems and modernizing them, since that's really what the topic is about, how do you make sure that the people who are going to use those systems are giving you the proper feedback or the, the necessary feedback? Everything we do in when we develop a system proceeds from a, a an empowered business product owner is in there driving the the how it what's important where it's prioritized what gets done first and so we work with our experts in design to give them ideas and possibilities and options but ultimately the what we're going to deliver and when comes from the business first and it's every day, it's every week, and then before we release anything at the end of every sprint, they're going to be testing it to make sure that we actually delivered the what and by when that, that, that was expected. So it's, it's a partnership, right? They have ideas of what they want, and then we bring the design centered on their needs, and hey, what about this option, what about this option? And, and that becomes the partnership piece, because if they say, we want to do this, and you're like, okay, there's a security risk there, let me tell you what that security risk is, and then they, as the mission owner, can it's, accept or not accept. It's extremely important to bring those non-functional discussions at the same level as the functional discussions, because if you bring them in as the afterthought, now I'm taking away your needs to, to serve my needs. So they have to be done at the same time. They have to say, hey, that's a great idea. Here's an equity I've got to deal with because if I don't do that, we're going to lose our data. And oh, now my mission understands what happens because we turn that security discussion into a mission discussion. Oh, if I have a security risk, my whole program goes away. Now it's as important to them as it is to us. And, and I think we, we could talk all day about security, we know that, but I think with the OPM hack, with the other problems we've seen, whether it's Target or J.P. Morgan Chase or, or now the WannaCry, people are, are much more aware and, and cognizant of, of the importance of security uh, uh, from the mission they side. They don't want to accept that risk, right? right? Unless there's a competing mission need, our mission folks don't want to accept the risk of something that's not as good from a security standpoint. Uh, Nathan, talk a little bit about what you're seeing within the government of you, when we talk about user-centered design. We, we hear a lot, of, again, I mentioned earlier 18F and USDS as two examples, but, but a lot of agencies are really doing more to reach out to their constituents. 
Yeah, I, I think the the challenge with with um, any modernization effort, and particularly with user design, user experience, is how do you bridge that gap from the IT or from the idea to something that actually um, exists in in terms of a system or capability? And you know, really, if you were to ask any of us, okay, design a typewriter replacement, we would give you a description for either Google Docs or Word because that's what we know. So this is where, to use the overused cliche, you know, you don't want to repave the cow path. So it's really okay. How do you work with your stakeholders to tease out? those key things that are going to enable you to move whatever you build forward and not just repeat what you already have there. Are there certain things that work in terms of teasing that out? Because it's it's almost the, I don't know what I don't know, so you're asking me how to think about this differently, but this uh, it's pen and paper that's what it's always worked yeah. before yeah it, it's I, it's being it, it's setting up a structured process um, it, to to really um, be able to um, intake a normal a enormous um, amount of perspectives um, particularly at all levels of the organization it's, it's one of the things I love about how we work with clients is we're engaging um, from the lowest levels to the highest levels to really get those perspectives um, and then also of course with uh, the end users and users uh, Jeff one of the things about getting those different perspectives is how do you ensure that you're not getting the craziest idea that's ever out there and someone's really kind of you, you get this kind of groundswell of craziness that you're like as, as the IT people you're like okay <laughs> you know we can't have the rocket ship to the moon yet and I think it's by having broad representation you know when I think of diversity I'm thinking about intellectual diversity how do you bring different because I want IT people at the table I want our leadership and our business people at the table. I want our stakeholders who are consuming our services at the table. And I do want some people that are what we'll say out of the box thinkers at the table. And I think that is what we find over time that you want this broadest range possible to really mine these ideas and brainstorm and think it through and pull on the threads and see if there's practicality. And something that started off as a nugget of something very strange might have turned out to be something that actually added something or to, to the overall product. Chad. I think you add to that by doing it with product, mm -hmm. right? We can do all these tabletops that you want. You can do, you know, storyboarding and all that thing. But if you can do that in, in a software development environment where you are showing them real product, you know, with stubbed in things for future features, but if you can show that in real product, it's so much different, and, and actually the advantage of software development is you can show them something real as opposed to words on paper. Words on paper do not capture what you can do in software. So if you can get the product, that changes the dynamic of the conversation. And, and that's been the change we've seen within the government around Agile is two-week sprints or however long the sprint is, yeah, I don't like that, change this, this, and this, okay, we can do that, versus what's, oh, what's been before, which was here's my requirements, come back in six months or a year, oh, wow, we don't like that. We, you change the mindset from it's a it's a hard requirement written in you know on stone tablets <laughs> to I have a hypothesis of value, right? Let's go test test that hypothesis, right, and see if it works. And if I do that in two weeks as opposed to two years, now I'm reducing risk. I'm I'm getting to better value faster. Jeff, and I would say one of the things we've learned is, is in the industry as technologists, as people following best practices, is that it is much better to explore things as Chad is saying. Start them early, test it, because it's easier to course correct early on in a project. It's much less expensive. It's more dynamic, it's more responsive. And I think that's what most of us have come to learn is that you want some fluidity in this process. It's not like the old days where you would plan something up front, build it and deliver it two years later and find that the technology or the people's needs have changed. Nathan, what we're talking about here in many ways is, is this idea of culture change. And, and before everyone groans in size, we have to talk about culture one more time. In, in many ways, it, it's defining that culture change. Talk a little bit about if you're seeing that definition changing, right? It's not just you got to change the culture, but what does it mean to do that? Yeah, well, it, the, the topic of change in government is always interesting to me. I was talking to a, a, a former, a former um, department-level CIO just uh, last week, and uh, his, his, his advice, it was hilarious. He was like... Um, when people come in go into government from the outside and they're like, we're here to change something, it's like, there's enough change happening already. <laughs> it's like, get on board, find where you can make imp impact. So, you know, to me, I think back to kind of the, the IT modernization piece and what that does in change is it's really triggering a culture mindset of modernization isn't something you do once. It's, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of addressing the needs of the organization and how it's serving its mission. So it's an ongoing process. And I think uh, like security and so many other things, you have to keep that in mind. This has been a fascinating conversation. 
we're just about out of time, so I'm going to throw out the getaway question for everyone. Uh, we've had conversation touched upon a bunch of different topics, a bunch of different things. If, if you're an agency or you're an organization who's just either starting to look at this modernization because of all the of all the things coming from OMB and the White House and Congress, or if you're just kind of in the beginning stages, what are some of the best things? What are some of the takeaways? So we started with Chad at the beginning, so we'll start with Jeff in, in the end here. So I would say be thoughtful. Recognize that making IT investments are very expensive. You're committed to them for some period of time. Bring the right people together. You've got to have a group of smart people that represent the broad range of technologists and business people and customers to make this happen. Uh, do planning. Be ready. Use some project management skills. Actually have budgets. Have schedules. <laughs> have the, the fortitude to actually use them and to keep some discipline because it will help the organization stay focused, and, and I think that's where leadership really does have a great contribution, is to keep the community together, make sure it's important, and explore your options together as a community. And, and you said bring together smart people, you said something earlier, diversity too. Not just IT people, not just mission people, but the whole kit and caboodle. Nathan, you're still in the middle, so you get the middle word again. Fantastic. So, no, I would just say um, be real, be realistic. Um, you know, with what is possible. Uh, you know, I think where where um, technologists get a get a bad rap is that you know the next whiz bang thing will c c cure all our problems and be a panacea. And I really think, you know, if you're realistic about the skills you have in the organization, the financial resources you have, and then use that to basically then you know with leadership really sell what you're trying to do. I think that's key. And I think the point you made earlier that, that modernization is never done, I mean, we kind of know that, but it's really the whole marathon versus a sprint, right? And, and, and I, I hope that as, as agencies are going down this path and, and the people who oversee the agencies <laughs> understand that this is not a turn the light switch and, and yeah, you're good to go. Exactly. Because yeah. I think too often that happens. Chad, uh, take us home. Tell, tell us from your perspective. You've had a lot of experience with this. Two things. One, uh, the end in mind is the mission. What do you need to support the mission? So always focus on mission. Two, uh, I love the idea of planning. Not the plan, but planning. So what it, Eisenhower said, right, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. So the activity of planning is extremely important. The plan itself and not so much. So we try to build roadmaps. What's that roadmap look like? How does our short term fit into that long game? So remember the long game, but focus your execution on the short game. And how do you get people to, to focus on, on the long game? Because you build, build, actually focus on building that one to three year plan. So is, is it the idea that of here's where we're today and here's where we want to be in a year, mm -hmm. two years, three years. What's our, what's our target state? Where would we like to be? But the target state needs to be way up here, not down in the gory level details, so that I know the decisions I'm making, example, we want to get out of the data center business. We want to move to the cloud. So our short-term plans need to map into that longer-term focus. That's a great point. Gentlemen, this has been a great conversation. Very much enjoyed it. Unfortunately, though, we are out of time. I'd like to thank my guests, Chad Sheraton, the Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department's Risk Management Agency. Jeff Weiner, the Deputy Executive Officer of the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases at the National Institutes of Health. And Nathan Brewer, the Vice President for Sapien Consulting Public Sector. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the panel discussion, Driving IT Modernization in Government, sponsored by Sapient, on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Sapient. Thank you for listening to the Driving IT Modernization in Government panel, sponsored by Sapient, on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion is available on demand at federalnewsradio.com sapient.